Welcome to The Gathering Place with Blessed Is She. I'm Jenna Gizar. And I'm Beth Davis. Pull up a chair and grab a drink. Or you could just keep doing what you're doing. Pull up a chair in your heart. (laughs) Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hey, Beth. Hi, Jenna. How are you? Just dandy. How are you doing? Great, great, great. Jenna, I was thinking about you at Mass this weekend. It was one of my favorite Gospels about Peter encountering the risen Jesus on the beach. Jesus asks him to have breakfast. And you know, every time I hear anything about Peter in any reading, I just think of you because Peter's your guy. I love him. Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You feel Mm. as though you have some things in common with Peter. I do. I feel like I need a lot of convincing. I forget things very easily. Mm. I jump without any plans. Yes. This is a lot like him. Yeah. This homily was fantastic. The priest basically walked line by line through about Peter and his leadership. How when he says he's going fishing, everybody just got up and followed him. That's what Peter was doing. So that's what they did. I had heard a similar homily as you on Sunday last week, and this priest was talking about how a lot of times people think Peter was going back to his old way of life, yeah. right? Like he was a fisherman before he met Jesus. So now that Jesus is gone, he's like, I guess we'll just go back to doing what we're doing, guys. And this priest said something really beautiful that touched me, and he said that Peter maybe just wanted them to take their mind off of things. He wanted them to go fishing and relax. He's like, a lot of people go fishing just to relax. And I just thought it was so cute. (laughs) He wasn't letting them sit in their sadness and grief or even being afraid of what's going to come. He was like, let's go do something that we might find joy in. And I thought it was so sweet. And I was like, what do I do when I'm feeling stressed out? I literally just lay there and wallow in my (laughs) self-pity and I complain and... I am tired. And I was like, how am I acting like a leader? Am I inviting people to get up and like, let's keep going and let's go do something to take our mind off of things? Like, am I thinking of those people around me? And it made me think of my kids because so often with them, I'm at my worst, which is so sad. But I think that's reality for a lot of moms or just who you love in general, those closest to you who you love, your parents, your siblings, you know. But a lot of times, that's when I allow myself to really sit in my mess when I'm with them, meaning I don't really work hard to nurture them when I'm feeling yucky. Mm. I spend a lot of time in what I would call a selfishness of guys. I don't have time to like play. I just need to sit here and rest because I'm so tired from yeah. my work day or whatever it is. And I don't really lead them. So I just was realizing, especially in my role with Blessed Is She, I am up here in a leadership position. And I really pride myself on that in terms of I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be a better leader. I want to look to Jesus and see how he was a better leader. And now looking at what Peter did in that instance of being a leader, and he didn't allow himself to keep sitting there pitying themselves or saying like, geez, Lord, I really wronged you because he did, you know, oh so often. Oh my gosh, often. that's all I would be thinking Yeah, about. Yeah. Instead, he was like, let's go do something in this interpretation, you know, yeah, let's yeah. go take our mind off of this. Let's go spend time together. Let's go do something that we all enjoy doing. 
anyway, so I just felt really convicted in that I don't want to just be a leader in my work life. I want to be a leader in my family. I want to be a leader to my children. I want to show them what it is. Not just be like a tired mom who gives to everyone else except for them. Yes. I want to be a leader in where it matters the most, first of all, for me and my vocation, to lead my children and to show them what a leader is. And I've never thought of that. I've just always thought of them as people who are just doing this thing with me, in life Mm. with me. I've never really thought of it as me leading them in the same way that I thought of leading in Blessed Is She. Is that weird? No. In fact, I think this is huge. I think you're really onto something because there's something in all of us, I think, that we want to be a part of something bigger. We all want to be a leader in some way. We want to have influence. We want to make a change. We want to make other people better and our circumstances better and our world better. But the place where you really have influence is in your home, is in your workplace, the students that you serve, those people in your area of influence that you see every single day. Those are the people who are really affected when you change. Yeah. So it was really convicting because oftentimes I will stay up super late and that's when I watch a lot of YouTube videos about Catholicism. (laughs) So true. And drama channels. I love drama channels. Drama about, channels. About Catholicism, especially. My goodness. <laughs> this is all true, people. I get these videos texted to me. It's good stuff. So I stay up way too late watching these videos. And then I'm trying to sleep in in the morning, and I have four daughters who are in need of assistance. And instead of just asking them to take care of the baby or asking them to take care of each other, <laughs> what about if I actually got up and looked like a leader? And was good to them. That's beautiful. I'm really excited. I'm excited for you. Thanks. It reminds me of this conversation I had with one of our writers, our dear friends, Blythe Fike. She's she, been on the podcast before. Yes, of course. She's, She's amazing. Best. Yeah. She talked on that podcast about her vocation with Opus Day, and she and her husband Kirby both are part of that community. And She was telling me just about their norms, the practice of prayer that they have, what they commit to daily, which is incredible for lay people to pursue holiness in such a radical and intentional way as they do in Opus Dei. So she and Kirby have eight kids and they're praying up to like two and a half hours a day. But we had this conversation about the difference between fitting prayer in and making a decision to put prayer first, to prioritize prayer above everything else, instead of just kind of those pockets of time, like, oh, I guess I could do my reading here, instead of saying, I need to read today. This is how I'm fed. This is where I encounter the Lord. This is how I grow, and prioritizing that. And that's been huge for me, just hearing you talk about wanting to be more intentional with the girls. You know, I have the luxury (laughs) in some ways of being single and having my own schedule. And I do pray a lot. I love to pray. I love to be with the Lord. But I can kind of do that whenever. And I found in that conversation, it just rang so true when Blythe was sharing about it. Because I thought, I'm really just going to prayer whenever it suits me, rather Mm -hmm. than being intentional about it. Sometimes I'll just pull up to the chapel and I'll be like answering texts or scrolling or finishing up a phone call. I'm not prioritizing like, this is the time that I have with the Lord. I got to get in there. I want to see him. So that's been huge for me. Like that one time when you ran to the chapel. 
Yeah. This That's is, not happening every time. No, it's good for me to share this because I don't want you guys to get the wrong idea about me that I'm just floating my way around, you know. I'm sometimes dragging my feet. There's no good reason for it. I'm just being lazy or unintentional or really ungrateful in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I found myself frustrated in recent weeks because I feel like my prayer just hasn't been very fruitful. But ever since that conversation, ever since I started prioritizing prayer, putting it first thing in the morning, getting up earlier, making sure I have as much time as I know I need to have in the morning with the Lord. Suddenly, it's like the floodgates are open and Jesus is so chatty. There's all this grace available to me. Whereas before I was kind of like, maybe I'm going into like some kind of desolation or why am I not hearing from God? Well, I wasn't spending time with him. Mm. It was rushed and It wasn't a priority. I was just fitting him in. I felt really convicted about personal holiness over the past year, probably. Mm -hmm. But before that, I didn't really desire personal holiness as much Mm -hmm. as I have over the past year. I'm so curious. Where did your desire for personal holiness come from and who kind of shaped what that looked like for you? I would say that's a twofold answer. Well, it's two questions. So there you go. Great. So early in my youth ministry career... I remember being at a day of formation for youth ministers, people in parish ministry, and I couldn't even tell you who gave the talk, but he or she (laughs) shared about the necessity of living above reproach Mm. when you're in ministry. Mm. I could never get away from that phrase, thank God. And I think from really that moment on, by God's grace— My aim was always to live above reproach. So I wanted to act and live in a way so that I ever even avoided the appearance of scandal. That's not to say that I don't sin or I haven't made mistakes. I surely have. (laughs) I definitely have. But intentionally saying, I want to do everything I can to live what I'm asking other people to live, Mm -hmm. to live what I'm preaching, Mm -hmm. you know? So I would say that was a seed planted very early on. But to be honest, in terms of personal holiness, it was really just necessity. I just needed the Lord so bad. I, you know, I'm naturally a more emotional person. I had a ton of insecurity. I so desired to be loved. I needed a lot of help. I needed a lot of love. I needed a lot of reassurance. And I found that, particularly in Eucharistic adoration. I found the connection and the love that I was looking for. I found the help and the direction that I was looking for in the person of Jesus present in the Blessed Sacrament. And, you know, the cool thing and the crazy thing about prayer is like, The closer you come to the Lord, the more you realize you need him. And you think you're going, because I'm going to get stronger, right? I'm going to get better. I'm going to become more capable. No, no, no. It's the opposite. You become more dependent. You're more aware of your weaknesses. You need him more. It's so cool. Your thirst and your longing actually increases the more time you spend with him. So he can thirst and longing for him. Yeah, exactly. Thirst and longing less for the world. Totally. Yeah. I was looking at Jesus in the monstrance and I said, strip me of self-sufficiency. That's not how I normally pray. That was a real deep desire. But almost the minute that I 
articulated that even just in my thoughts. I was like, no, 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 wait a second, Lord. Mm. That sounds really crazy and scary. And I don't know if I'm ready for that, but it's not serving me well. My deepest desire is to become more and more dependent on him. And his desire for me is to know that I don't have to do it on my own. So I think it was that early invitation to live a life above reproach, to live a life of integrity as a person working in ministry. But on a heart level, I was converted more and more in just my daily relationship with the Lord. And from there, different practices emerged, right? I felt called to weekly confession, and I've gone through seasons of feeling like I need to be at daily mass, and I gave up cussing, you know? It's just like a little bit more and more and more. The Lord is refining us. We give him a little, and he helps us to level up. It reminds me of the virtue talk from last week that we talked about, because I've never been drawn to the virtues. Basically, anything that's super religious talk, I've always kind of walked away from, because I've never really felt like I was really well-formed. I've always just been more heart than Mm. head, I think. But learning about the virtues and hearing Susanna talk about that river analogy. Gosh, that was so good. Do you remember it? Yeah. Yeah, essentially that as water flows and it like kind of digs a crevice over the land, as the water continues to flow, it widens and it deepens. And then the water naturally moves in that direction. Yeah. That's like so beautiful to Mm -hmm. me. And I felt so convicted recently, just that all that I do be done in charity. So I had mentioned that I felt drawn to personal holiness about a year ago. And that was about when the McCarrick scandal came out and subsequently the Pennsylvania grand jury. And I just remember being so upset as we all were and not knowing what to do and not knowing what my place was, what my role was in the church, wanting to fix everything that I could when I couldn't, because I'm just a lay person in Phoenix, Arizona. And I remember talking to Father Parks and he didn't have the answers that I was looking for. I wanted to know what kind of committees could be started and, you know, justice to be served. And his answer to me and to my heart, which was to grow in my own personal holiness, really that everyone in the church grow in personal holiness, that priests grow in personal holiness, that bishops grow in personal holiness. Right now, the answer is personal holiness. To become more like Christ by way of virtue, to draw closer to his heart, to be consoled by him. And by doing that, I shine a little bit brighter. The more I have Christ's light in me, the more I can light up this church. No, it's everything. And I remember Father Park shared that with our writers. Yeah. And it doesn't feel just. It's not a quick solution. Right. To the scandal, it's not a quick solution to sin in our own lives. Yeah. It's a long game. Growing in virtue, growing in personal holiness, that takes time. But I guess my thing is, what result is there? What is the effect that my personal holiness has? I need to like know that it's actually doing something. I think your prayers matter. So as you grow in holiness, yeah. and you're praying especially for priests praying especially for people who've been wounded in the church or by the church, your prayers are effective Mm. and there's grace there for that. And I think as the Lord refines your character and attunes your heart to his, 
you're a better minister and that makes the church better. I'm going to give you an example. I was in counseling last night and I just felt so received. I felt so safe and her responses were so empathetic. It was just sincere care and making space for me. And I distinctly felt in that moment, I want to be that for other people. Mm. To be received in that way, to be heard and for my feelings to be validated and for someone to sit with me in the tension and in the pain of this thing that I'm sharing with her. That was such a gift to me. I want to give that to other people. I want to model that for other people. So I do think as we grow in personal holiness, it changes everything. I mean, the Lord is so generous, right? He's generous with the graces from our prayers. He is bringing the people closest to you to heaven. He's changing every interaction, every conversation. I think the benefits of personal holiness are innumerable. Yeah. Well, I guess using that example, I look to certain people who I feel like are really on a beautiful path to personal holiness. And I feel so convicted by them. Yeah. I do think it's a ripple effect. Totally. Of, oh, they have this beautiful relationship with the Lord. They have this beautiful, authentic desire to be virtuous and to live a life of integrity and of good character and they want to know the Lord. They want to be in relationship with him. And I'm drawn to live a life like that. And so I think that's so true. You see people in their little pocket of wherever they are listening to you that changes lives. And so my life has been changed by people who I see doing that. I think it's brilliant. I think what you're saying is if you need to be convinced of the result of you pursuing personal holiness, yeah. you look at someone who's already living their personal holiness. Yeah. And you can say, how I feel around that person, how I see them treating other people, how I see their lives turning out, yeah. that's worth this effort right now. Mm. I love to look at people who are like just even a stage ahead of me in the game, in their vocation, in ministry, and to say, I want to age well. Mm. You know, I want to mature in Christ. I want to grow up in every way into him like this person is. And look how beautiful their life is amidst very real challenges. Yeah, Yeah, suffering. And look how they're handling that with such grace. Mm. They didn't decide to handle that horrible thing with grace in the moment. They've for years been investing in prayer in growing in virtue, in reading the lives of the saints. They've put in the work to build a foundation of character that then allows them to handle whatever life throws at them. Yeah, I've always looked at my mom, who's extremely fit, and I'm like, wow, maybe one day I'll run a marathon like my mom. (laughs) But (laughs) now I think I can look at other like spiritually mature people and be like, maybe one day I could handle the Summa. Like Susanna Spencer. (laughs) (laughs) I love looking at Peter in the Gospels. Is there someone that you really love in scripture who inspires you? Yeah. Let's hear it, Beth. You know, it's ironic, the duo we've got going on here. Because for as much as you relate to Peter, I relate to John. John the Beloved. I love how you added in the Beloved. I mean, it's what the Lord calls me. Peter just got the rock. 
It's so fitting, though, right? <laughs> Sweet John just reclining on Jesus's chest. It's my favorite way to pray, just laying on his heart. Jesus and I, right now, I'm trying all kinds of things, and all he wants to do is lay in a hammock and have me just lay on his sacred heart. Okay, don't confuse people. Are you really laying on Jesus? We're like side by side in a hammock and my head's on his chest. But in your imagination. Jesus is not bodily appearing to me in a vision, listeners. Through Ignatian contemplation, a beautiful practice of sanctifying our imaginations, I spend time with the Lord. And listen, I don't care about hammocks. That was his idea. Hammocks are amazing. <laughs> what? I know. I think I want to get one, actually. You know, there was a time I was flying kites with Jesus. Now we've moved on and we're laying in a hammock. And that's how you relate to John. I mean, in many ways, I relate to John. What's another way? Well, John ran when Jesus was arrested. Ran away naked. Sweet John. Lots of shame. Yeah, he was afraid. He didn't know what to do. Peter's just just knifing people. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. (laughs) Peter pulls out a sword. John (laughs) slips out of his... What kimono. <laughs> John slips out of his. What is that? Dress. I want to say alb, but that's not right. He Doesn't slips matter. out of his Outfit. deal. He runs off Who naked. Who said he's naked? It says it in the gospel. Which gospel? Probably John, the <laughs> disciple whom Jesus loved. That's also why I just relate to John so much because he refers to himself in his own gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So prideful. Listen, I firmly believe that's not pride. I firmly believe that he just knew who he was. He he, knew his place. He needed to remember who he was always. I love that. I I have to constantly say, I am the beloved daughter of the Father. I'm God's beloved. Jesus calls me the beloved, his beloved. I have to always be reminded of who I am. Beth, the one that Jesus loved. That's going to be your new bio on Blessed Is She Done That. Can we? No. Just the retreat programs then. There you go. (laughs) Just the thing you're in charge of. I can do whatever I want in those. (laughs) Love it. Hence Encino. Just all about Jesus calling all of us to become. What's Encino? Encino Yezu is a private revelation, if you will, a collection of writings. It's the diary of a priest at prayer. And in it, Jesus specifically Jesus in the Eucharist, is speaking to his priests and to all of us, asking for us to become people of adoration. In particular, asking priests to become priests of adoration and reparation. And he's just asking his priests and us, by extension, to become another John, a friend of his heart. A friend of his heart? Yeah, he calls... He does not say that. Yes, he does. That is the sweetest another thing John, ever. Be for me another John, a friend of my heart. What? Yes. Stop. It's so beautiful. He had such an intimate relationship with John, and he has made himself available to all of us in the sacrament. How much more intimate can you get than making yourself bread to be consumed and wine to be drunk? Onward and upward to personal holiness. Forward and free. You know what I think is even cooler about personal holiness? Tell me. That even if you think you're getting somewhere, you realize, like you said, you have so far to go. Amen. There's so much humility in that. Yes. You don't become pompous. I mean, I definitely think the evil one uses... Spiritual pride. Totally. Yeah. You can become judgmental, which 
I totally understand and you can become prideful and look at others differently, whatever you guys know what I'm trying to say. Critical. Yes. But I think we can continue to pray for humility and it's like, no matter how hard you work on this, you never become puffed up. If you're really on the path to personal holiness, which is the path to Jesus and becoming more and more like him. This is a very Peter thing for you to say, because what I would say about personal holiness, what I find the most exciting about the spiritual life is that the Lord is inexhaustible. So we press in and we grow in a certain way and he's like, oh, okay, here's another thing that you didn't think I was going to, you know, you don't even see some of your own blind spots. And the Lord in his mercy allows us to act out of those wounds or whatever until the time is right for him to heal us or for us to have the character to be able to withstand and change our behavior, to be able to talk differently. There's always a new thing to discover about the Lord, a new characteristic, a new side of his face. I learned so much about his personality, for lack of a better word, his nature. It's never ending. So it's not like you're just plugging away at personal holiness and then suddenly you arrive and you're like, is this it? (laughs) No, it's like it's never ending. Yeah. It's so good. So good. Should we pray? Yeah. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God, thank you that you're so good. Thank you that you've called us to be perfect as you are perfect. And that you wouldn't ask us to do that if it wasn't possible in you and with you and through you. So we ask for the grace right now to grow in just the ways that you're asking us to grow right now. We don't need to get out ahead of you. We don't need to be hard on ourselves. But would you, uh, Holy Spirit, would you show us where you're calling us onward and upward? where you're calling us to deeper holiness. We entrust ourselves to you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A to the men. Thanks, Beth. <laughs> Thanks, Jenna. Thanks for the chat. See you in the chapel. You will. Thanks so much for gathering with us here on the Blessed Is She podcast. Send over all your questions using the Anchor app. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us at blessedishe.net slash community and join us on all your favorite social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I love Twitter. Until next time.